This podcast is brought to you by Fear Free, the initiative that takes the pet out of petrified and puts treat into treatment. Learn more at fearfreepets.com. This is the Fear Free podcast series. I'm your host, Steve Dale, and I'm joined today by Dr. Annette Litster. Dr. Litster graduated as a veterinarian in 1982 and was later awarded a PhD for her research on feline heartworm disease, which is really important, truly, and a master's degree in clinical epidemiology. She is a boarded specialist in feline medicine and worked in small animal general practice and specialist in feline practice for 17 years. Dr. Litster was a tenured associate professor of small animal internal medicine at Purdue University before she joined Zoetis as a full-time employee in January of 2014. She is a senior veterinary specialist with a focus area in small animal infectious disease, feline medicine, and, so important, shelter medicine. Whew, that's a lot, Dr. Litster. Welcome. Thank you so much, Steve. So glad to be here. Well, I'd like to take you into the cat's world today so that you can see osteoarthritis from the cat's perspective. That's part of the point of what we're doing If we look at things from a different perspective, we can make sure we're really meeting the needs, I hope, I hope, I hope, I hope, of our feline patients and their families. I think that's important. Oh, absolutely. And I think the most important place to start is to remember that cats are family members. That's how cat owners see their cats. Well, that's totally true. I mean, I feel that same way about my cat. And I understand that cat owners don't take their cats to the veterinarian as often as they take their dog, for example. Is this because cat owners or cat parents in general are not bonded to their cats? Oh, absolutely not. That may look like it from the statistics, but that's not the case. The AVMA reported in 2016 that the average number of feline veterinary visits was 1.3 per year, and that lagged well behind the average number of canine visits at 2.4 per year. Now, we know that all pets need regular checkups and medical care, but the low number of veterinary visits for cats is really a concern because as a species they tend to hide signs of illness. So cat owners might not be aware that their cat is unwell until disease is at an advanced stage. This is true for OA, osteoarthritis, as well as other diseases. The most recent AVMA pet ownership statistics confirm that cats are very important to their families. 76% of cat owners regarded their cat as a family member, as we said earlier. And to a further 20%, their cat was their companion. So we need to make sure that we see our feline patients regularly so we can detect disease early when we have the best chance of making a positive impact. Now let's talk about money, 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 money. Are people willing to spend the same for their cats as their dogs? In fact, one survey tells us that they're willing to pay more for care for their cats than for other kinds of pets. In a 2021 survey, pet owners were asked how much that 
they would be willing to spend to save their pet's life. And cats came out as the favoured pets with an average spend of just over $3,000 compared to $2,800 for dogs and $1,600 for other pets. So if cat owners consider their cats as family members, and they do, and they're willing, maybe, to pay for their care, what are the barriers to keep them from getting their cats into the clinic more often in the first place? Well, there was a major national survey conducted by the Braki Group that asked cat owners about why they're not bringing their cats in to see the veterinarian. The number one reason was that cats aggressively resist being put in carriers. So it seems so prosaic, but something as simple as a carrier can stop cats getting the care that they need. Number two reason was that cats didn't like being driven to the veterinary hospital. And number three is the one that probably cat owners would not be willing to tell us about. And that is that they feel that cats show signs of stress at the veterinary hospital, especially in the waiting room. I find it ironic that we can provide such sophisticated care for our feline patients nowadays but we wouldn't even know that they existed unless we can overcome these simple, practical problems. We should discuss another oversight by pet owners. That is understanding the clinical signs or behaviours associated with feline osteoarthritis, since that's the focus of our discussion today. All right, so you brought it up. Let's talk about OA or osteoarthritis in cats. I guess we need to start with getting the cats diagnosed in the first place. What tools do we have? So there are a number of tools that we have traditionally used, such as radiographs and joint examinations. But more recent research has shown that these are not as reliable as we would like them to be. Sometimes radiographs can show signs of disease in cats that are apparently pain-free. And just the opposite as well. Cats may not show signs of pain, whereas their radiographs look like they have severe disease. They don't perform normally in a joint examination in the hospital because they're not in their normal environment. So it may be that it's difficult to get accurate examination from a joint examination. Do cat owners recognize these behaviors? So in a recent survey of cat owners, even though 45% of them had observed behaviors in their cats that were consistent with osteoarthritis, they just didn't make that association between the behaviors and potential osteoarthritic pain. Perhaps they assumed that the behaviours were just signs of getting older. Many pet owners were unaware that their cats could even develop osteoarthritis. However, we now know that osteoarthritis is a lot more prevalent in cats than we had previously recognised. In fact, in one study, 61% of cats 
aged six and older had osteoarthritis. And in another study, 90% of cats aged older than 12 years had osteoarthritis. So it really is a common disease in cats, especially those aged six and over. Well, you know, I mean, when you think of osteoarthritis, you think of it's the decrepit, very, very old cat only that has osteoarthritis. Is that true? No, it isn't. This is a paradigm shift in our knowledge of feline OA, and that is that OA can occur in even middle-aged and young cats. In one Dutch study, the joints of 100 cats aged six and older were radiographed. These were cases that were referred to the University Veterinary Clinic, but mainly for reasons unrelated to the musculoskeletal system. In that study, 61% of the cats had osteoarthritis in at least one joint, and 48% of them had more than one joint affected. A more recent US study randomly selected 100 cats from kittens up to 20-year-olds and overall, 92% of the 100 cats had radiographic evidence of degenerative joint disease, or DJD. 91% of them had at least one site of appendicular degenerative joint disease. In that study, for every one-year increase in cat age, the expected DJD score increased by an estimated 13%. However, despite this solid published evidence that the prevalence of feline OA is relatively common by about six years of age, and then it just keeps accelerating, relatively few cats younger than 10 are diagnosed. And research has shown that this is precisely the time that cat visits are at their lowest. If we can educate our clients and get them to come in for visits in those middle years, we might be able to help them have a better quality of life. And that's one message. I mean, what you just said, that one sentence is so hugely important. You might be able, in fact, I would rephrase that, you can potentially help these cats. So here's what I want to know. Compared to the D word, dogs, what, and you know, I mean, truthfully, many veterinarians and veterinary technicians and nurses think dog, you know, mm -hmm. there are some differences in diagnosing OA. That's absolutely right. Uh, cats are not small dogs when it comes to OA. Uh, now let's go through some of the differences between cats and dogs with OA. In cats, the disease is mostly idiopathic, so we just don't know the cause of it and we can't determine that cause. It could be age-related wear and tear or possibly the immune system is involved there. There are some less common cases where we can determine a cause such as uh, osteochondrodysplasia in Scottish fold cats. So that's a genetic condition that affects the, um, the cartilage. Or secondary osteoarthritis can occur after trauma to the bones. Uh, so perhaps uh, 
patella luxation or bone fracture, something like that. We're used to that in dogs, but it doesn't happen quite as often in cats. This is mainly an idiopathic disease in cats. However, age is really the most important risk factor for osteoarthritis in cats. And it's not only a risk factor for prevalence of osteoarthritis in cats, but also for severity of osteoarthritis in cats. The trouble is that OA in cats is often not diagnosed until it's at an advanced stage because we have this lingering idea that OA is for older cats. But it is actually... Uh, can be present since a, a younger age, more likely since six years or over. And by the time we diagnose it in old age, if we're waiting to see signs until then, those cats commonly have comorbidities, making the case all the more confusing. Another thing that we often think of with osteoarthritis is obesity, but this is rarely associated with osteoarthritis in cats, mainly because they're often older by the time we make the diagnosis and with the effect of comorbidities, they can in fact be underweight rather than overweight. It could be that earlier in the disease, obesity played a role in the development of the disease, but usually not at the time of diagnosis. They're often underweight. And no matter, I mean, obesity is not a good thing, no matter what. There's no doubt about that. But why do then we so often miss the signs of pain in cats with OA? Well, I, I think it's because cats are operating both as a prey species and a predator species. We think of them being predators and they are excellent predators, but they're thinking of themselves being prey. And because of this, they're very good at hiding signs that they're hurting or vulnerable. We also just might miss the signs because they don't present the same way as in dogs. For instance, osteoarthritis in cats is frequently bilateral, so they don't limp because they're painful on both sides. They're also a very small and agile species usually, so they can compensate for the pain until it becomes so severe that they can't hide it any longer. If we take x-rays, we may not see any classic osteoarthritic changes in the joints and studies have shown that cats can still be very painful with severe disease even if we don't see any radiographic changes. Some of the more commonly affected joints are the elbow, hip and stifle joints. However, other joints can also be affected. For example, we can sometimes overlook the lumbosacral joint, which causes the cat to no longer hold her tail up the way she used to like to do in greeting. Hmm. Well, if so many cats have OA, and they do, and they hide their pain, and they do, how can you tell they hurt? 
On joint examination, joint thickening, synovial effusion, reduced range of motion and crepitus are far less obvious in arthritic cats compared with dogs. The key lies in understanding cat behaviour and learning to recognise what can be subtle changes. The cat almost certainly won't be crying in pain, but instead cat parents might notice that their cat might not be doing some of their usual cat activities. That's why it's so important to take an excellent history and to really listen to what the pet owner is saying. They might notice the changes, but they won't necessarily understand what they mean. Because unfortunately, when a cat doesn't jump on the counter as much as she used to, or she's eating less, or doesn't like to come upstairs to sleep in the bedroom anymore, that's often written off as, phew, we finally trained them not to jump on the counter, or perhaps seen as normal slowing down, or they're just getting old. A good clue to listen for is if the cat owner says things to indicate that the cat's no longer living in that vertical world that they used to so like to inhabit. You can also proactively ask questions about the cat's changes in habits and activities. Sometimes it's easier to describe these behavioural changes to owners through the use of images. There's a checklist available at www.fearlineoascreening.com and it's a validated questionnaire. I think it should be an important part of every wellness visit, at least for cats age six and over. It also becomes part of each cat's medical record, helping you and the cat owner to notice subtle changes over time. The checklist can be downloaded, but there are also animated cartoons of cats moving normally compared to cats with osteoarthritis. You can download these and show them to owners or have them playing in the exam or waiting room. It's really useful to have cat owners take videos at home where the cat feels comfortable and expresses their normal behaviour. I love that Cat OA checklist. Uh, that's catoachecklist.com. I really do, and I love the animated videos. I think they're helpful uh, to veterinary professionals, arguably, as well as certainly to cat owners. So what tips can you give to veterinarians to help them to diagnose OA in cats? Okay, so after taking a thorough history and using that validated questionnaire we just discussed... It might be helpful to have the pet owner record their cat at home using their smartphone or other video recorder to watch the cat move in their natural environment without the stress of being at the clinic. When doing the physical exam, allowing the cat to wander around the exam room where possible allows you to watch the cat move. It'll also let the cat adapt to being in the new environment of the exam room. Performing an orthopaedic exam on a cat can be tricky to say the least and it often requires patience. Being slow and gentle is the key. If the cat isn't comfortable being examined, 
this is another opportunity to ask the owner to videotape their cat in the home environment to assess their concerns more fully. Ask them to take videos of their cat doing the things she finds difficult. For example, jumping or climbing stairs. If the cat is more cooperative, you can watch her walk around the consulting room and encourage her to jump on and off a chair to help you detect any gait abnormalities. Following the visual observation, an examination of the joints is recommended. The changes to look for in individual joints are swelling or enlargement, crepitus, decreased range of motion and pain. Bear in mind, as we said before, not all osteoarthritic joints will be painful and not all painful joints will have OA. However, the presence of crepitus, joint thickening and joint effusion has been shown to be predictive of the presence of radiographic degenerative joint disease. Clinical signs plus physical examination findings may lead you to be fairly certain that a cat has OA, but you should try to confirm your suspicions using radiographic changes. The primary radiographic change associated with OA is the presence of periarticular osteophyte formation. Although this is not always present or easily identifiable in every case. As I mentioned earlier, osteoarthritis might be present in the absence of obvious radiographic changes. What can I say? Cats can be contrary and the presence of radiographic changes does not always correlate with clinical signs of osteoarthritis or the degree of pain that the cat is suffering. So let's back up a little bit. What causes these painful cats in the first place? What are the mechanisms that cause pain? Osteoarthritis starts out with changes in the joint that get transduced into an electrical signal. This is quite complex. When tissue is damaged, a number of different immune cells are released such as mast cells, neutrophils, and macrophages. In turn, each of these cells releases inflammatory mediators that are deposited into the joint. Some of these substances can be very familiar to you, like prostaglandins and histamines, but there are many, many more that are involved in the process that you might not know of, such as nerve growth factor, or NGF. The release of these mediators changes the environment, making a sort of inflammatory soup, which then makes the sensory receptor for painful stimuli, or nociceptor, more sensitive, allowing for easier binding of each mediator to its corresponding receptor. Upregulation of the peripheral nerve fibres then is initiated, and this process is called peripheral sensitization. Once chronic pain is established, it leads to a syndrome we call central sensitization, which is sometimes called wind-up pain. A better term is hypersensitization. Remember that with acute or adaptive pain, once the initiating wound heals, the nervous system returns to normal and pain ceases. 
In contrast, chronic or maladaptive pain has a continuous barrage of sensory pain signals because it never heals. This leads to a structural change in the dorsal horn of the spinal cord, known as neuroplasticity. Neurons in the spinal cord that receive this sensory input eventually become hyper-responsive. Pain-related changes in the peripheral nervous system can have profound central effects. Ongoing tissue damage or inflammation and nerve injury result in both short and long-term changes in the central nervous system. Essentially, in maladaptive pain, the fire alarm system is constantly switched on, even though there's no emergency, and repeated false alarms can occur. What are the consequences, if there are any, of not diagnosing and treating pain? Oh, there are consequences. A chronic condition such as unrecognized osteoarthritic pain changes many aspects of the cat's life and behavior. If effective treatment isn't provided, pain progresses in frequency, duration and severity and central sensitization or wind-up can occur. When pain impacts the cat's quality of life, they naturally withdraw and don't want to play or interact with the family anymore which can really weaken the human-animal bond. I'll tell you, all of that is a superb, I think, uh, explanation. Uh, I learned a lot. So what are the treatment options? When we think of treatment options for osteoarthritis, we commonly think about non-steroidal anti-inflammatory drugs or NSAIDs. But until this year, there were not FDA-approved treatment options to treat chronic pain in cats. Recently, nerve growth factor has been identified as a very important target in triggering inflammatory and neuropathic pain. And we have an option involving nerve growth factor that is FDA-approved for cats. So tell me about nerve growth factor, or NGF, as a chosen target for OA treatment in the cat. NGF causes pain by activating its receptor, tyrosine kinase A or TREK A, on nociceptors. It's interesting to note that this is a different mechanism than the prostaglandin pathway targeted by NSAIDs. Inhibitors of NGF have shown promise in clinical trials of musculoskeletal pain and there are long-acting injectable monoclonal antibodies that are being studied in people, dogs and cats. NGF has been shown to play a critical part in the pain pathway and so it's been looked at by researchers because blocking its activity could reduce pain. Currently, anti-NGF monoclonal antibodies have been developed that bind free NGF in the joints and therefore stop its ability to bind with pain receptors. These monoclonal antibodies are being studied for use in dogs and cats. So Silencia, or Brunavetmad injection, is the new anti-NGF product for feline OA. Tell me about it! Silencia is changing the way we control feline OA pain. 
It's the first and only monoclonal antibody therapy for cats that targets nerve growth factor. And it's indicated for the control of pain associated with osteoarthritis in cats. It's given once monthly as a subcutaneous injection. In a clinical study, 77% of cat owners reported sustained improvement in signs of pain when their cats were treated with Silencia over three months. 67% of cat owners experienced improvement in signs of their cat's pain in the placebo group. Silencia helped improve cat's mobility, comfort and well-being. Also, in a field study that included some cats with International Renal Interest Society or IRIS stage 1 and 2 chronic renal disease, Silencia was found to be well tolerated in cats with OA. The total number of cats in that study was 267 treated cats and of the 267, 131 were identified as iris stage 1 or 2. So I'm going to say that D word again. Can Silencia be used in dogs? No, Silencia can't be used in dogs. It was specifically designed as a monoclonal antibody for cats. It hasn't been tested for effectiveness or safety in dogs. Seems like Silencia would be good for any cat that has osteoarthritis. Are there any groups of cats that should not be given Silencia? Yes, cats that are breeding pregnant or lactating, and any cat that has known hypersensitivity to Frunivetmab. Treated cats should be at least one year old. Can Silencia be given to the cat at home by the pet owner? No. Silencia should be given by a veterinarian or under their supervision. Because nerve growth factor is needed for nerve growth and development before birth and in young animals, veterinary professionals that are pregnant, trying to conceive and or breastfeeding should take care to ensure that Silencia is not accidentally self-injected. Hypersensitivity reactions, including anaphylaxis, could potentially occur with self-injection. You should see the full prescribing information for Silencia at www.silenciapi.com. Most drugs have side effects. Uh, any common ones that you can tell me about with Silencia? In the clinical study, vomiting and injection site pain were the most common adverse events in cats treated with Silencia. These signs were reported about half to one-third less often in cats that receive the placebo. I don't know about you, but I say this is a game-changer for cats. The information, Dr. Lister, you have provided has been amazing. I think the most important thing to remember is that cats are our clients' family members, and we should start with being proactive, best medicine approach for all our feline patients, would you agree? Oh, absolutely. Yes, they are family members and we need to give them the very best. Be their advocates. That's the most important job that we can do as veterinarians. And uh, a reminder that Silencia is for cats only. Women who are pregnant, trying to conceive or breastfeeding should take extreme care to avoid 
self-injection, as you said. Hypersensitivity reactions include anaphylaxis, could potentially occur with self-injection. Silencia should not be used in breeding cats or in pregnant or lactating queens. Silencia should not be administered to cats with known hypersensitivity to frunovetmad. The most common adverse events reported in a clinical study were vomiting and injection site pain. See full prescribing information for Silencia at www.silenciapi.com. My name is Steve Dale. If you're already registered for Fear Free, be sure to keep up with all the Fear Free happenings. Access the new toolbox items and find all additional courses at fearfreepets.com. And of course, if you're not registered, find everything you need to get started at fearfreepets.com. If you're a member interested in pursuing veterinary practice certification, get more details on the same site under the Veterinary About section. And if you're a pet owner who just stumbled upon this podcast, how lucky you are. And you can learn more about the resources we have for you at fearfreehappyhomes.com. Thank you.